everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Big Egg Joshi Podcast, the one-year anniversary edition of the podcast. So, I thought I'd do something special for the one-year anniversary of my podcast. I brought some uh, special friends along, you know, some people I know, you may know as well. So, uh, me to introducing them. To my left, I have the other host of the Red Leaf Retro Cast, fan of a thousand po- and one podcasts, JD, what's up? Hey, I like the Dean Malenko reference there. Or Serena Deeb for modern fans. Uh, more Dean Malenko than Serena Deeb. How dare what are you, you? What are you? Well, I mean, we, we <laughs> don't like uh, Serena Deeb here because she's the beater of Riho, and I don't like it. I, I, I mean, I guess whatever, whatever helps you with that. <laughs> uh, and to his left, you may know him formally as the host of No Particular Angle, but I just know him as the Saki Kashima stand. What's up, JPQ? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm a stan, but I'm definitely retired from podcasting, so I'm glad you brought me on for this, man. Happy one year, dude. Thank you, thank you. And to his left, the maestro of the Joshi interview, uh, the man who had interviewed Tsukasa Fujimoto, which makes me insanely jealous. Uh, Eric, <laughs> what's up, man? Hey, guys. Very happy to be here. I, I know how much hard work goes into putting a podcast on, and, and one year is no joke, dude, so uh, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. I've, I've definitely, it's uh, been a year of change. I went from uh, doing research on uh, promotions and wrestlers to covering JWP, the promotion, one of the promotions I like. So for this this episode, I tasked each of you with uh, picking a Joshi promotion. Since this, you know, this podcast is all about the Joshi history, I thought we'd all pick a, a promotion, probably one that's defunct and not around anymore. Uh, and sort of talk about, you know, the promotion itself, maybe some of the big stars from there. And uh, I've selected impact. the I've selected the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Uh, Mount Fuji <laughs> is the greatest Joshi wrestler of all time. No, uh, I, I, listen, listen, we're going to discuss, we're gonna have a, a big discussion about that one. <laughs> uh, but uh, I thought, you know, we discussed maybe the impact that they either had when they existed or what impact they have modern day, which I think is more of an important question. Because we see some promotions have a long-reaching impact, like the one that I chose. So no, I'll, uh, I'll kind of start us off here, right? Everyone okay with that? Yes, no? Yes, okay. sir. All right, cool, cool. So I picked, uh, no, no surprise, JD Star. My, one of my favorite promotions, and one of what I think is the most interesting promotions in history, one that doesn't get talked about very often. So uh, JD Star, for a little bit of background, started in 1995 by Jaguar Yakota. And her partner at the time, Bison Kimura helping at the dojo, but her, more importantly, her business partner, Kiyu Uji, who was a uh, half-owner with her. Uh, they kind of ran it until about 98, where they didn't make any money. Uh, and so Jaguar decided she wanted to step away. And so she sold her half to Kiyu Uji of the company. And he ran it for about two more years before he entered discussions with Hibonobu Uchimaru, a modeling and actress agency guy who kind of owned a, a big agency at the time that had a lot of actresses and uh, idols come through. So he had a lot of money. Uh, but about January of 2000, he had entered discussions, and they started in February that year, the beginning of the Actress Athletes Program, or as they dubbed it, the Asterisk Program, which would kind of be, uh, I think, a more defining feature of the promotion going forward. Uh, at the time, it was something that wasn't really, um, it wasn't done at all. I think the only wrestlers to ever come from an acting background or a singing background into wrestling was uh, Mimi Higawara and Makfu Miyake were the only two 
to come from those backgrounds into wrestling. Usually it was the other way around, right? You had the crush gals and beauty pair who would be wrestlers first. Then they would transition into acting and singing, kind of a side thing. Some of them would go in full time to that, but it was never, you know, actor to wrestler, right? So what they were doing was uh, very different, but at the same time, it was also different in the aspect that they were focused more on the looks of the wrestlers. It sort of took the uh, took the '90s sex appeal look, like what JWP was doing with uh, Mayumi Ozaki and Kiri Suzuki with the photo books and stuff, and decided to make that almost a primary focus of the wrestlers. So they wore a lot more not scantily clad outfits, but a lot more revealing outfits. Uh, they had a lot more focus on their beauty and their looks, and they even changed the slogan of the name to JD Star Beauty Wrestling or Beauty Athlete. So they definitely had a whole new change, and in 2001, they kicked off, officially, the Asterisk program. And one of the big problems was that they weren't respected by a lot of the, the old guard, but at the time, not really old guard, like, pretty much current guard at that point. You know, your Kyoko Inouye's, your Aja Kong's, Bonacanos, and stuff like that. People, or Manami Toyota's, people who were wrestling and were the big names would refuse to wrestle there, or would refuse to even wrestle with them, their wrestlers at all, or have them in their promotions or anything, seeing them as not actually wrestlers. And even though through time, they sort of built really good wrestlers, like Fuka and Masaki Ohada and Yumioka and Sachiabe, and these people came through, and Sumi Sakai as well, you know, people came through there and were actually really good wrestlers, right? Uh, they still didn't get the respect until after they closed, and then the effects of the promotion started to, to sort of show. I think, uh, in terms of its impact, I think that if J.D. Star hadn't existed, you probably wouldn't get stardom. Because Fuka came from there, right? If Fuka doesn't get her shoe, her foot in the door with wrestling, there's, no, there's a good chance that maybe Yuzupan also doesn't get her foot in the door, right? Fuka was pretty instrumental in getting Yuzupan to stardom and training her, as well as implanting the idea in Rasi Ogawa to hire a gravier actress, something that I don't think anyone would have thought to do unless JD Starr did it first, right? I don't think anyone else would have thought to do that. So I think stardom wouldn't have happened. I don't think you would have gotten Tsukasa Fujimoto or Hikaru Shida or Miyaka Matsumoto because all three came from acting backgrounds to wrestling. I think it doesn't get talked about enough or at all how important JD Starr was to the scene. There's just a lot you could just trace right back to them, right? Everything from the Gravier DVDs, which sure they existed in the 90s, but the boom of them didn't start happening until after JD Star had closed. Because JD Star was doing a lot of those, with you know the exception of one Emmy Tojo who went straight into actual porn. Uh, but that's a whole different can of worms in the story. But I, I just think I would like to uh, dive more into Emmy Tojo, please, Kay. <laughs> uh, in what way? I mean, what direction you want to take this? <laughs> Well, let's let's uh let's let's table that discussion for maybe a later day, maybe a, a midnight hour podcast. Ah! <laughs> but uh, I I think I put a I think I have a hot take. I think JD Star should be put up there with uh, AJW in terms of one of the most influential Joshi promotions. I think you just trace so much back to them. I mean, even Wave without Oka and Ohada is Wave ever that big in 2014 to 2016? They're sort of big peak years. I don't think so, right? It's just it's a lot you can trace back. I think even Stardom's there's their current their uh, their approach after Nanai left with freedom and everything. A lot of that, a lot of the focus on the the cute and idly stuff. Oh, that wasn't done until JD Star did it, right? They just didn't do that. Promotions didn't. They were still kind of more grounded in a bit of old school. So I think JD Star is probably uh, right up there with AJW in terms of the most important and influential promotions. What well, say a lot you of guys? TJPW's 
Uh, ah, yeah, I didn't even touch on that. Yeah, yeah. TGPW, even modern day actress girls, which got its uh, inspiration from JD Star. The people that founded it got their inspiration from JD Star. Uh, but TJPW is an interesting one because its inspiration came from uh, Tofu Pro, the AKB48 wrestling things that they were doing uh, before their TV show. They did kind of this uh, this weird sort of wrestling thing that they would do at intermissions of their concerts. They kind of made it like a traveling show for a bit there, and then they kind of made it a TV show later. But that's uh, been credited as TJPW's inspiration, and that doesn't get started without JD Star. So I, I think a lot of that uh, ties back to them. I don't know if either of you guys agree with that, but I think they're very, very important as a promotion. Yeah, I can tell you based off of your uh, J-Star episodes that you do for the Red Leaf Retrocast Patreon, you know, it seems like there is a certain dynamic that can be traced back to J-Star from a lot of the promotions that we're seeing today. So hearing you break that down the way you have, where it's still kind of new to me, it seems as if the parallels that you're drawing make a lot of sense. It's, it's definitely one of the most important, like I said, one of the most important promotions, I feel. It just doesn't get talked about enough because most people don't know about it. It's kind of weird how buried it kind of got there. Especially because towards the end there, the wrestlers were actually pretty damn good. That's where Fuka and Oka and Ohada all kind of came through the latter years of the promotions asterisk program. And I think those guys, those wrestlers coming out of there and being as good as they were sort of influenced the rest of the scene to sort of copy that, as, as well as, I say they didn't make any, so J.D. Star never turned a dime its entire existence. Uh, but that's because their operating budget was way too high towards the latter end there. And they weren't making a lot of good money, but they weren't making enough money to sort of make even. So I think a lot of the other promotions saw how much money they were dipping into, the market they were dipping into. They were dipping into idol fans, and idol fans at that time were spending a lot of money because the idol culture was still kind of new and booming, right, with AKP48 and everything. So other promotions saw that inside to tap into that, which I think would have happened if JD Star hadn't sort of opened that door. Is it good or bad, though? Is it is it good that they've turned idols into wrestlers and maybe sexualized wrestling more than than it had in the past versus the purists who love the old school wrestling? I mean, that's, a, that's definitely an interesting discussion, but I, like I said, I think had that not happened, we wouldn't get some of the big things. So I think it, it's, it's leveled itself out, right? Because without that, you don't get Tsukasa Fujimoto. Right? You don't get Hikaru Shida. You don't get Miyako. You don't get... You probably don't get Mayu, because like I said, you don't get Stardom. It's a good chance that Stardom either doesn't happen, or if it does happen, it doesn't happen in the way it does, and it might not have succeeded. Yuzupan was very, very important to those early years of stardom, of getting people in the door, right? Because she was such a big, popular... Like, she was a Gravier actress, but she was also an actress. She was very popular. Uh, she was a celebrity at the time. Like, I'd say, like, a B-level celebrity, but that's a big deal for the Joshi scene at the time, who was in the doldrums still, right? So I think mm-hmm. I think if you don't have Yuzupan, you don't have stardom. And if you don't have stardom, you don't have EO sort of getting up in the ranks the way she did. You don't have Mayu, you don't have Kyon, you don't have a lot of, you don't have Momo, you don't have my favorite wrestler. You don't have Momo, you don't have a lot of people that don't happen. Actress Girls doesn't happen, so you don't get Seriano or Natsupoi or Tehanma. A lot of these things, and I think uh, as much as you can probably discuss whether the sexuality thing is important or not, uh, even though Joshi's kind of always done that, but they kind of made it also part of the wrestling gear. I think mm. nowadays you see less of that with the wrestling gear. Like, you don't, if you kind of watch some of the old JD Star stuff, your gear is not looking like lingerie anymore, so I think that's important to, to mention that the gear 
evolved out of the other promotions. They kind of didn't take the lingerie gear. They took the still kind of wrestling gear, but maybe your midsection's more exposed than it was before. There's no bathing suit gear like there still was at the time. So, I, I mean, I think they're still very important. I mean, context to what they, I mean, how people are perceived, because <laughs> uh, let's not pretend Cutie Suzuki and what JWP used to do in particular didn't happen either. Oh, that's a lot. They had VHSs. Like, grab your DVDs weren't a new thing. They were VHSs back then. There just weren't as many of them. But fucking Cutie and Mayumi Ozaki had, like, very, like, totally, they're totally banging guys, kind of shoots and DVDs or VHSs. It was definitely a market that JWP was tapping into. And that was in the 90s, early 90s at that. So. Yeah, my, my only problem with it is that every single wrestler is pretty now. Every single one. You know, they, they, every single one is glammed up. There's not, uh, and, and I think that's the, the, the influence of the idols, you know, is that every, every girl is pretty and for the most part petite. And there's a certain look that all of them have. And I think we're, we're missing some of the old school uh, monsters and, and bigger girls. Well, I think recruiting has a lot to do with it as well. (laughs) The recruiting pool is, is much smaller than it was in say the eighties. Oh yeah, definitely. Like the two thousands were a huge hit. So them focusing on the looks was completely understandable because that was kind of, only like if without that the companies don't exist like neo doesn't continue because neo did that they dipped into sort of like focusing on some of the looks when jd star was doing it just they wouldn't no one would openly work with them i think neo was kind of maybe the only company that kind of would work with jd star but i mean just look at the companies that floundered and didn't work out right just a lot of them were more old school like rcn which i know uh jpq is going to be talking about like they didn't work out Mm-hmm. So they were That's super old school things. and they died as a result of it so it's a, it's a well, lot of but, that happened but JD Star didn't exactly flourish either from what they were trying to do no but that's because like I said their operating budget was way higher than it should have been like I feel like if they tried to cut down some costs they would have made it even that was the yeah. problem because they never turned a dime and they definitely didn't turn a dime when Dakota was there that's why she left she didn't yeah. like leave the promotion but she left as an active wrestler and went behind the scenes because Jaguar Dakota was still training the wrestlers up until its closure. She was still very active in the dojo. She trained a lot of these actresses to become wrestlers. And that's why uh, when she perfected sort of the formula, a lot of the later ones became very good. Like, Fuka was a very good wrestler. This was Ohada and Oka and all of them. Like, you don't really... It's just it's kind of weird when you look back on all that, right? I always, yeah, find, I always find it interesting looking into why each company didn't work out the way it did. Obviously, <laughs> the main reason is... Uh, eventually, no. Well, with the exception of of uh, Gaia, uh, no, none of them were able to turn a profit. For and then you break down what reason that could have been. Whether it was booking, not making new stars, uh, too high of an operating budget, uh, there's company a, there, making bad decisions. Yeah, company company uh, in the in the back in the back just deteriorating uh, through, through the, the, the old school culture that they had, which, uh, JPQ, I believe you have a promotion that's like that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well, so since I said, uh, we both mentioned JPQ's promotion, how, how about you go next JPQ? So we don't yeah. take your thunder well, from all of this. Just, just a quick, just a quick thought. And then I'll tie that right back into RCN sure. here in a second. Um, you know, I would, I would tell you, I don't know if I can look at the beautification of wrestlers 
as just being a Joshi issue back in the 90s, right? We kind of saw in the world a transition in the late 90s, early 2000s into, you know, more of a pretty wrestler, you know, uh, mm-hmm. male or female, right? Think about what WWE was prior to DX and the Attitude Era, right? You had some, yeah. You had some ugly boys in there too, right? You had your bodybuilders, but then you had your ugly boys, right? Your earthquakes and such that came in and the. It's a uh, handsome man. How dare you? <laughs> exactly right. But my point is, is that is it that the Joshi scene began to veer towards more of the idol as a way of trying to get people in the door, or were they just looking at the scene as a whole and saying? everybody's headed this direction because this is what sells. And now whether you want to label it as sex sells, well, that's one thing. Uh, But again, I would sit here and I would tell you, look at all of the wrestling promotions today and find me an ugly wrestler, male or female. It's not necessarily there, right? Like, yeah, sure, there's preferences and this and that and other thing, but the old school monsters, to your point, Eric, they're not really they're not really a thing anymore, right? Everybody's kind of got glamour to them because that's part of professional wrestling. It's emphasizing, um, you know, your character through your look. And a lot of that has to do with attire, makeup, fitness, things of that nature, because that's what society, as we began to progress into the 90s through the 2000s, you know, deemed as what's considered to be attractive, right? And that on a global scale, now changes professional wrestling so that everybody begins to veer that way because now you may hate pick your heel wrestler, but mm-hmm. you're still going to buy their merch because one, I need it as a promoter, but two, you know, there's money there to be made. So is it just a Joshi issue or was it more of a transition, transitional time in wrestling as a whole? Yeah, that's, Possible, well, that's exactly what I would, I would head towards because uh, I always point to Dragon Gate in that regard. It's the male. <laughs> Joshi promotion out there. Yeah, for real. They right. they do sexy photo books with all the men. They're all pretty boys. They have a high female audience because of all the sexy boys there. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I even look at like New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm trying to find. Oh I'm yeah, to exactly. Them too. They do photo books as well. Boy. You know what I mean? And I can't. I can't seem to find. Evil. Them. Evil's pretty ugly. <laughs> no, he's definitely got his own no, little fan base really. there. No, he's, he's a handsome, not, a handsome not, evil let's man. Forget, let's not forget AGW how it got started, right? AGW doesn't take off in the seventies without Mock Fumiyaki, who was an actress, a very pretty actress, who they marketed on her looks. Like the, the I mean, Chigusa Nagaya was also marketed on her looks, a very different set of looks. But, but even like the Dragon Gate example, right? That was I think looks have always been important in wrestling. Hulk Hogan doesn't get over just because he's Hulk Hogan. His muscles and his physique definitely were. Important. But he's but he's beating the monsters though. I mean, wrestling is not popular. I mean, it's all pretty. But wrestling is not nearly as popular as it was years ago when it was less pretty uh, bad guys. The, the, there's a reason why bad guys in movies aren't pretty for the most part. You, you get the ones every once in a while, you know, that are handsome guys or whatever. But for the most part, you're you're trying to avoid the monster and defeat the monster at the end. But if it's two pretty people wrestling each other, it's, it, it, I don't know, it, it just rings different to me than, than it does. I'm older than you guys, so I, I have probably a little bit of a different perspective. Sure. But yeah, re- wrestling is is not as popular now as it was before when when there were monsters 
fighting the pretty people, you know. But wrestling's also uh, wrestling's actually yeah. kind of more profitable <laughs> than it used to be as well with some companies. So there's also yeah. that right. to take into account. I, I well, don't disagree with Eric's mean? point um, about it being more popular and the heel versus like the the monster versus the David versus Goliath. Yeah, Goliath I get what dynamic. It's more of it, I, I guess I guess based off the original point, I, I look at it and I say it seems as if in the late '90s there is a meeting of the minds, and and the whole industry globally went that direction. I don't know if it's like if I have a problem with it happening in Joshi, I have a problem with it happening everywhere, right? And I think that's what I think that's what Eric's saying too, right? Is yeah, that yeah, yeah, it really has transferred over into more of a you know a looks based uh industry than a, than a, than a talent based industry so to speak or a story based and, industry and as an ugly as an ugly person i take offense to that <laughs> there needs to be more people there needs to be more people more people that look like me in the ring and and fighting the the pretty people and you know pr- messing up the pretty how can you mess up a pretty face if you have two pretty faces you know i think you're a beautiful man eric thank you i'm blushing <laughs> well, so you're, gonna, you're gonna talk about Arsian, right? Yeah, so let's talk about Arsian. So, <laughs> yeah, that um, thing. <laughs> I, I'm glad I was able to kind of get in here when when Kay you brought this topic out and said, "Hey, you know, picked a defunct Joshi promotion. Let's talk about it." And real quick, the first one that came to mind for me was Arsian. Um, reason being is number one, I'm a huge Aja Kong fan, and so her being co-owner, co-founder, co-conceptualizer of our scene right at the get at the beginning wanted me to get involved talking about it. But then on top of that, I'm also a bit of a stardom mark hashtag watch stardom. So to have Rossi Agawa be there as well as part of the being a co-founder, you know, co conceptualizer of this. Um, it just made sense that when I come on to the, you know, big egg Joshi podcast that I, I picked our as the one that I wanted to talk about. And here's what I really, really enjoyed about Arcean and and what I've been able to see as well as what I've been able to read up on it. It seems as if late 90s, early 2000s, uh, well, really, the, and 98, when, when it really got picked up and started going, there was a mission from Aja Kong for inclusivity within wrestling in Japan, right? Specifically in Joshi, obviously. And that's not something that we really saw at such a... Uh, a mainstream level with such a prominent wrestler like Aja Kong in the past, right? Uh, in fact, you could make the case based off of many events and many uh, case studies that, you know, people that are different don't seem to fare so well in many different aspects of Japanese culture. And so for her to create a promotion that's not just built off of uh, professional wrestling, but then also based off of inclusivity of uh, of differences, right? Of different types of people, different uh, nationalities, uh, a different type of work styles, right? I mean, we saw kickboxing matches. We saw shoot fighting matches. We saw Lucha Libre matches. We saw your normal tag team, you know, and, and single co-main and main event type matches. Like, so we saw a bit of flexibility in making sure that, this promotion was going to be different, but more importantly, it was going to be different with the types of people that were going to be in it. And for me, I think that was not just brave, but super, super uh, important in the late 90s, because I think it opened some doors in a lot of ways for not just the viewing audience, but then for wrestlers as a whole to have confidences and going and getting involved 
if they were different, right, within the wrestling industry. And so I think there's that appreciation that I have for RCN number one. Number two, a lot like what we were just talking about, the breakup of RCN really came with a bit of um, a difference in opinion between Aja and Rossi with regards to the direction after a couple years that ultimately led to Aja leaving and uh, Rossi going in more of that idle, more of that, um, I can never say the word, gravure. <laughs> gravure. Thank you, gravure uh, uh, type of way because it was selling tickets for, for other promotions, JWP at the time being the one that they were kind of in main competition with. And so, you know, as they began to 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 lean more that direction and kind of get out of, you know, this, um, you know, this melting pot of of differences that we saw at the beginning over the course of this two to three year span where Aja was involved, um, you know, it shows a nice, you know, way in which an idea and some financial backing can can get you up and running in a wrestling promotion, but then ultimately to keep the lights on, what kind of justifications need to be made, you know, and you can really kind of look at RCN in a lot of ways, although, you know, you did a fantastic job, Kay, talking about JD Starr and kind of being the stardom 1.0, right? Because a lot of what we saw happen in RCN um, towards um, uh, the early 2000s, once Aja was kind of out of it, at that point, you know, kind of mimic a lot of what we see in stardom today, where it's a little bit more idol driven, right? Storylines are good, but, you know, everybody's kind of stacked in the middle um, a little bit. And so, you know, again, looking over the, the history of Arsene, I think that there's some very interesting dynamics. I love the Lucha Libre aspect. Now, we know Rossi has that. We know the type of relationship that Aja had with Mexico. Uh, it was my first introduction to the Fabi sisters. Right, or the Apache sisters, Fabi mm-hmm. and Mary, back in the day, um, was when they came over um, and and were able to wrestle for Ogawa uh, when they came over on their tour while they were still being seasoned as rookies, you know. And so there's a lot of depth within the Mexican uh, culture within RCN as well. And I think just that type of promotion at that time, late '90s, early 2000s, although rather short. Of a, you know of, of an existence right i think it only lasted it depends on how you want to look at it you could say that it went to what uh, mid 2003s you could count the a to z you know um uh, count when, a to z. yeah i don't i don't count it to z when i think about it but when hoda took over right um you know there was a lot of neat things and a lot of different things that they were doing and in a lot of ways it trailblazed a lot of paths for people that are different to get into professional wrestling at the same time, it was also kind of the rough draft, if you would, of Rasiagawa trying to formulate in his mind what's going to work with regards to a promotion um, that can kind of stand the test of time and ultimately be looked at as one of the you know top promotions in Japan. And here we are, what, 16 years later, 17 years later? And he seems to have accomplished that at least up to this point. So uh, I think there's not just a lot of history with regards to uh, RCN, but again, from an inclusivity side um, to the types and different styles of matches that they would put on to, you know, some of the talent that has come through there. I I think that there's a lot of wins in a very short amount of time uh, with this promotion. And so that's why I chose that one. 
I think right. That's a, that's pretty interesting. I, I think the two things that I I liked about RCN are what I when I used to read about RCN and did my my podcast episode, my Big Egg Joshi episode on RCN was like you had said Rossi was trying to focus on looks, but like JD Star, he was going within the Joshi scene, so he was looking at the wrestlers and trying to get them that way. And so I think when he saw JD Star kind of do what they they did and Fuka presented Yuzupon, he realized that combining the two right having somebody from the outside that's already attractive and has her own celebrity fan base mixing in with sort of the idol look uh, was probably what was going to make it successful. But like you said, the melting pot thing. And I think one of the things that uh, I don't think I see get talked about with why Aja and Rossi split, and it's not just the direction, but Rossi wanted Aja Kong not to be at the top of the card anymore. He thought that yes. she wasn't, she, he thought that to, for the promotion to move forward, he needed a prettier face up there and Aja Kong wasn't it. And uh, in some regards, you, you can see where he was coming from because RCN also didn't turn a profit for a lot of that time. So he his re- thought process is probably like you said, JWP. At that point, they had Mayumi Ozaki up on top and she was a sexy bitch, to, to lack of a better term, right? She was definitely you know, playing into the hardcore <laughs> biker sexy thing that she was doing and it was making a lot of money for JWP because not only she's a good wrestler, but she's also this like hardcore awesome chick that also was very attractive. And he probably looked at that and was like, well, if we're going to compete, right? Saw so he looked at, probably looked behind him and saw AJW was in flames. So I was like, well, if we're going to compete, we kind of have to go in this direction. Otherwise we'll die. And I think Rossi being, Rossi's got a good sense of business. And I think some people usually take that the wrong way, but I think he, I don't think he ever pushes a company in a direction without a good reason seeing the trends. And he's never really been wrong in that regard. I mean, look at stardom surviving after the Yoshiko incident. If they didn't pivot to freedom, who's to say that they even survived. They just continued the way they had been at that point. So I think he kind of saw the winds blowing and then it was too late and sold it off because Aja left and Aja was still a big profitable person for them. So that the Hota I, and Hota just bastardized it. So I read, well, it was I read conflicting about that time information too, was about 2001 when Lioness took over, right? The book when Aja left and then he was allowing Gammy to be pushed into the co-main. So not yeah. every decision that he's made up to this point has been no, a positive one. No, 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 the, the booking wasn't all. I don't think he was. He, he wasn't the booker. Like I said, Linus Oscar wasn't. He wasn't. But yeah. Linus Oscar has many things, but a book, good booker is not one of those. <laughs> that was her, to me, for that was her only attempt at it, and it wasn't very good. So right. Anyone else want to want to want to share anything? Anyone next? So I read some conflicting information over uh, Oga- uh, Rossi Ogawa in Arcean, which I thought was interesting. You kind of mentioned the uh, the booking there. I didn't really come across the difference in Rossi and Aja Kong's booking mentality because they both wanted to make a new star, and that was Ayako Hamada, the super rookie. Like everyone right. was in agreement with that. Where this is what I read. Where Arcean started to fall apart was Aja Kong was their big star, and Rossi was false advertising a lot. And Aja Kong was constantly advertised on shows she wasn't even going to be at. And that's kind of where uh, it that, started. That's, that was the end there. That was the end there. She When she left, he was advertised. That was the whole lawsuit for that. Yeah, and she yeah. sued she him left. over it. Yeah, because She had left already, and he was advertising her for shows that she wasn't yeah. going to be on because she had already left the company. And then uh, without that, Rossi had to, without Aja Kong, Rossi had to bring in another kind of star. And when he brought in uh, Linus Asuka, uh, gave her the book, that's where it just fell apart. And if, in, in kind of like hindsight retrospect, 
if Rossi doesn't make this mistake and kind of see the implosion of Arsian within like 18 months, <laughs> how it went from the hottest company in Joshi to out of business that fast, maybe he doesn't learn from his mistakes and stardom isn't kind of where it's at today. Interesting way to go at it. Yeah. Uh, the Aja Kong thing was uh, definitely like, like I read the the booking decision or he wanted Aja to stop being at the top. Like he wanted her to still be on shows. Obviously she was the big draw for the company. He, he didn't want her to sort of be the forefront. And then when she left on a show, like she just announced, I think she either won or lost the tag belts in the main event. And no, just announced. she didn't. She, no, she left the match. Yeah, so she walked out. She walked, she out. walked she, out on her partner and the promotion at the same time. Crazy. She walked out and left and put a statement out. And then he advertised her for like the next four shows. Correct. And she wasn't on those shows. Like she had not been on every Arcean show prior to that. But he, he booked, he like advertised her for four shows she wasn't going to be on. Obviously, because she's the name, he needs the tickets. But she ended up suing him for it. And I think she, I mean, she obviously still holds a grudge against him to this day about it. He killed her company. That's what she sees. That's how she sees it, at least. In, in some respect, he kind of did. Putting Linus Asuka in charge was a very dumb decision because she had no booking prowess prior to that. And she all she did was book her friends because that's all she kind of knew how to do. So that's how Hota got her, her Weasley self into there and how Hota decided to just take it over and well, kill the company in two years. It's kind of funny <laughs> how... As soon as Arcean started, and you can you can find literature of this where uh, he announces he's going to be stealing talent and taking stars from like LLPW and and uh, JWP yeah. at their yeah. weakest at their at their utter weakest moments, and uh, th- that re- that uh, that brought into kind of a super show between the three promotions and them coming together. It kind of sounds uh, similar in a lot of ways to. Like stardom being bought by Bushi Road, and then you had, uh, I guess the Corona period happening, and then you get um, Assemble, in which we all talked about and gave it like three shows. Although Eric, you were very more optimistic than Kay and I were. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I knew how the wind was gonna blow on that. I was like, oh yeah, it's gonna get three shows, and it got three shows. So <laughs> it's not over yet. Oh, it's over. It's done. It's a dead, it's a dead horse. I appreciate that they did it, and I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah. But I think it was funny what you mentioned the Arcean story because he came in on my studio talent. At the time, JWP, especially JWP, was way more popular than they were. And AJW was dying. So it was kind of funny. He didn't single out AJW to steal their talent. But it was like the two more popular... Uh, well, that's because everyone had left companies. AJW. Like, they were leaving in droves. <laughs> oh, yeah, that company was on fire. It was like a sinking Titanic on fire. It's hilarious. A sinking so Titanic else- on fire. <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's how I'm describing AJW now. It's a sinking Titanic on fire. So, uh, anyone else want to want to go next? How about you, JD? How about you go next? Oh, myself. Okay. So I recently uh, i've I've been looking at uh, LLPW Ladies Legend Pro Wrestling, and it, it always fascinated me because it always seemed like the third promotion, right? The ice ribbon, if you will, to today's TJPW and good example Stardom. <laughs> And and the and the roster always fascin- fascinated me. Uh, how it started up with people like uh, Shinobu Kandori, uh, Eagle Sawai, Harley Saito, just to name a name a few. And I'm like, man, they got a good roster. They got and anytime I see pictures, they're always badass women. Uh, they're they're and and seeing scattered kind of crossover shows between AJW, JWP, and the like. 
uh, you always see their, ro- their rosters mixing up with the other promotions. So it always fascinated me, and uh, I just started kind of diving into it more uh, over on the Patreon doing episodes, and it has it has quite the quite the interesting start, like uh, how Candori uh, had a falling out of ideals, and JWP essentially closed and split uh, to, to lack of a better term, and Candori being the uh, legit bronze medalist judoka that she was, uh, her ideal was uh, to bring more legitimacy to, well, women's wrestling, uh, to, to make it seem like it was, a, it, was a, it was a true fight in the ring. And her, her big maneuver uh, ended up being having all of these women have legit MMA-type backgrounds. Because in the early 90s, uh, so LLPW started in 92, or at least that's when it was uh, officially founded. <laughs> there's, a, there's a big story on kind of uh, putting puzzle pieces together with a certain Minnesota uh, territory, <laughs> but uh, that's a story <laughs> for another a certain, day. Certain personal commentary. And, hell yeah, of a show. Yeah, hell of a show. So, uh, Kandori's idea to bring MMA into the fold had a lot to do with how the times were in the early 90s. MMA was becoming a big thing uh, uh, with UFC starting. Uh, I, I believe um, Pride was another one on the up and up. And you see this in other promotions, them trying out. New Japan is trying these weird shoot fights. Uh, AJW is doing weird shoot fights with Hota. And this was in the 80s, and it really kicked up in the early 90s uh, to the point where AJW had a legit, well, quote-unquote legit, uh, shoot fighting title. So with... Kandori having all these women uh, take up different mixed martial arts uh, centered around kind of what they wanted, whether it was judo, uh, kickboxing, and the like, uh, they end up doing the first, uh, or at least one of the first, uh, female MMA shows uh, called the L1, which is which is really fascinated in 95, uh, as soon as they had enough under their, under their belt, enough training under their belt. Uh, so I can't, I haven't watched that personally yet. But I, I, I'm kind of looking forward to that and how uh, the training went. So where the mark of LLPW lies for me is it's a third promotion that I don't want to say flourished, but it survived. And it had its own core group of roster that was able to draw money and have a style of their own. And that style was the MMA background. And what do you see a lot in today? You see the Shuris of the world that have a you, you see Shuri, you see Madeline that come from MMA, or at least have some sort of MMA training, and they mix that into the wrestling, and it's created this just really good dynamic style to it that, you know, you get the hard kicks, you get the hard chops, you get the forearms uh, much better. It's not just the go-go-go style that was very prominent in the in the 80s, and even uh, in JWP for a while. It, it really created a different uh, perspective on what wrestling could be, uh, mixing in the different styles, <clears throat> giving you some uh, legitimacy to these women, and mix that in with the '90s. You got some badass groups and and grunge-looking women that look like they could take your head off. So that's really cool. Oh, yeah, Yasha Kurnai. Yasha Kurnai is my wife. Oh my <laughs> god, you see Yasha Kurnai? I mean, she wasn't like the best worker, but boy, was she awesome looking. <laughs> I think one of the cool things about LLPW was I think. Like you, you use ice as an example, and that's like the perfect example in terms of at least like how it's function, right? 
Ice Ribbon has a very core fan base that's dedicated to Ice Ribbon. Like they don't go watch other things. Maybe some of them do, but Ice Ribbon's kind of their first and foremost. They they watch every show. They find all the stuff. LPW had the same thing. They had a very rabid uh, fan base that was just there for them. Maybe yeah. they'd go watch other promotions, but really, first and foremost, LPW was their primary. And I, I don't think a lot of promotions, promotions even nowadays have that. Even Stardom, like their new fans, probably are that way. But their old fans would go in. I'd see even Sendai crowds and other crowds from other shows too. So interesting. Yeah, and one thing I noticed right away, even watching its its beginning opening Corkin shows that they do. Uh, uh, Kandori really had a, a, at least, I mean, uh, look, I, I still have a lot to learn with LLPW. I'm really at the ground floor with this, but it's Im- immediately stands out as something different. Uh, and Kandori's booking ideas was she needs a star and she immediately got Norio Tateno. So that's kind of where I also come in <laughs> being a big uh, Tateno big fan. Mark over here. I mean, oh, shit, yeah. if she got Yumi Ogre into LLPW, sign me up. <laughs> I'll get all the DVDs. You're overachieving mid Carters. <laughs> I mean, think about the tag championship match between Eagle Sawai, well, Eagles Y and Tateno versus Sayori Okino and, and Iger. You know what I mean? Like, they're bangers, man. Like, they would go in there and murder each other. It's fantastic. LPW was, uh, I think, the only, they were the first promotion to have, the first Joshi promotion to have six man tag belts. I don't think they had proper tag belts until way, way later, but there's six person yeah, tag. Yeah, nah, not until like 2010, belts. something like that. Uh, a little bit before then, but I think they're, they're, um, six person tags. They were the first ones to do. I think those, those were their first belts, right? That they introduced, because I don't think they introduced their singles belt until a little bit after that. Could be a little right. off on that. But uh, I think the singles bell was introduced, I believe, in late '93. I think the six-person oh, wow. tag, was, and the six-person, I believe, was '94. Okay, so just, the six-person tag was after. That's just off the top of my head. I could be wrong. Uh, that, that was that was the only promotion doing that. Like, I don't think any. I can't think of any other judge promotions that did it, or even after they had done it. So they were kind of innovative in that regard. I mean, yeah, they were always trying that. to say artist yeah. belts. Yeah, they were always trying to set each other. They were trying to make their promotion unique and set them set themselves apart from the big two uh, that were that were happening. The promotion they had just split from and the juggernaut at the time of AJW. Uh, where the promotion failed isn't necessarily their fault, but more of just uh, the market where Japan was going through their economic crisis in the nineties. Uh, the boom period of the 80s was gone. Recruitment was at an all-time low. And because of this, LLPW, even though they had their core roster group, they just kept getting older. And they were... they they didn't. It wasn't so much they had a problem with making stars or crossover promotions and, and having good events and making money. When you have... When you have an economic crisis and you just... People aren't spending as much money. You're not making as much money. You can't retain your talent as easily. And you also can't recruit and replenish these stars that you will inevitably lose, whether that's retirement, whether that's to another promotion, like an Arcean startup case where they stole, how dare you, JPQ, and your fandom, stole a couple of stars from LLPW. You, you end up dying a slow death. And whether that's the fault of the promotion itself and its and its uh, inability to recruit talent or keep talent or train talent, uh, you can really look at the slow death of 
LLPW as kind of an unfortunate marker for a number of promotions today, uh, especially in the world of Joshi, where recruitment is also still really hard. And if you don't have the right training, the right pipeline, uh, unfortunately, LLPW did not have that pipeline. Uh, you're just going to slowly go out of business, unfortunately. And that's where right. LLPW on- kind of uh, uh, failed. I think another thing that's uh, important to mention is uh, their failure in the 2000s. A lot of that was off the back, at least Kandori, and her, some of the interviews that she had done around the time, felt like it came off the back of Enochism and how terrible that was received. It oh, had yeah. a trickle-down effect on LLPW because they were an MMA-based promotion. Right. And Enochism was souring almost... Like, I think it, it, it went beyond wrestling, didn't it? Like, it, to the point where the general public just could not stand it right it was yeah, just a, Nokiaism a, a the, disgusting noise thing yeah Nokiaism's uh, uh black mark on the wrestling industry uh it almost killed New Japan and it ruined his killed stars LLPW. and you could definitely yeah cuz in 2002 that's when they changed it to LLPWX to try to get away from the MMA but the damage was done uh, cuz even though they it weren't changed their image too yeah even though they weren't a a MMA promotion, their style and 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 moniker was we were legit women, and unfortunately, when this black marks on the industry, people see you as part of that black mark, and uh, yeah, that, that's was not, that's not yeah. happy with Anoki. Like, yeah, that that's a, were... that's a conversation for uh, unfortunately another day, and something I'm not I can't like totally speak on. And I can't wait to learn more about just that part. But yeah, I have I've read a little bit on it. Uh, I need to be more knowledgeable to speak further. So I've, I've seen at least uh, two interviews she gave at the time about Anoki. And uh, I don't know if she still hates the man, uh, but uh, some of the words she was used, like she was not very complimentary of him. <laughs> like she blamed him for killing wrestling, killing her promotion. And called him various names that I will not repeat because some of them were uh, a tad too far from my taste because she did not care for him. Uh, so she, I mean, LPW still technically exists, still technically there. I, uh, I wouldn't capacity say it technically is, exists. Anything. What capacity is uh, up <laughs> in the? I mean, they're wrestling at fruit markets, so do they really exist? Who knows? Well, Eric, you're the uh, you're the last one left, so floor is yours, man. All right. Before there was dirty old man wrestling like it is right now, there used to be women. There used to be women at shows that would go watch the show. Oh, did he die? Oh boy, he died. <laughs> insulted dirty old men had died. Oh no. They were, they were there he is. He's they back. Were stone Cold. They were Hulk Hogan. You know, they were they were all they were the rock. They were the you know, transcending stars in Japan. They were more than wrestling. Uh, people were more than wrestling fans. They were Chigusa Nagayo fans. They were Crush Gal fans. They were Linus Oscar fans. And they brought women to the shows, which brought more women wanting to be, become wrestlers, become one of them. And again, I'm going to kind of go off on the tangent here for just a quick second here. You guys well, talk about you, how... Before you do that, uh, let people know what promotion you were talking about. Oh, you cut off the, you the, say Gaia, the Gaia Girls promotion, which uh, 1995, founded by Chigusa Nagayo, the most famous Japanese women's wrestler of all time, the most popular Japanese women's wrestler of all time. Um, yeah, she's a, she's a rock star, literally, <laughs> literally a rock star. And uh, she, she formed the promotion in 95. Um, 
it wasn't the, always the pretty girl promotion, but uh, okay, I'm going to go on my tangent now. You guys talk about how recruiting is difficult for, for promotions right now. When you pigeonhole yourself into recruiting only a certain type of person, you're going to have less people to pick from, you know? And if you're only picking pretty people, there's not an endless amount of pretty people who want to be wrestlers, you know? If, when you look back at the, the Gaia girls and you go back and watch that documentary, it's insane. It, it would make me rather go to a Marine boot camp versus going to train with Chagusa. But, the, you know, they had uh, Miko Satamora, who was not a, a glamorous-looking young lady uh, going into the promotion then. Uh, they had Chikayo Nagashima, Toshi Uematsu. They, they had, a, you know, a, a number of I mean, young ladies who went on to have terrific careers. But they weren't recruiting just pretty girls. They were recruiting athletes or recruiting wrestlers. You know, they weren't recruiting idols to become wrestlers. They were recruiting wrestlers to become wrestlers. And I, I think that that trickled down, you know, you guys talk about, you know, glamming up the industry and it turned off so many women fans. It really did. I mean, it, it, you can't, not every girl is going to look up to, to the beautiful, you know, women. Cause not every uh, girl out there looks like, you know, uh, Pam Nakano or, or pick, pick a girl. I mean, you can pick a, a, every single one of them right now, pick one, you know, that they don't look like those girls. So they don't relate to those girls. And so they're not going to follow those girls and they're not going to want to become those girls. But they did with Chigusa Nagayo. They did with Lioness Asuka. They did with Akira Hokuto. You know, they did with a, a bunch of the people, you know, Asha Kong. They, they, they related more to them. And I think that's why Chigoose has always been successful and, and Gaia was incredibly successful, you know, having 10,000 people shows, you know, uh, in, in, in an economic downtime in Japan, you know, that's, that's saying something in, in it, uh, the, the trickle down it has impacted Joshi wrestling. I like Joshi wrestling. Now I'm not saying I don't like it now. I just wish there was more, um, more of a mix of, of pretty and, and beasts, beauties and beasts, you know, that's just how it needs to be in, in any form of uh, combat, you know, movies, wrestling, TV shows, whatever it is. But, you know, she has always succeeded. And we want to talk about the, the legacy of them. I mean, two of the arguably the best, you know, trainers out there today are Chigusa Nagayo and Miko Satamora. Miko's going to WWE UK, I think. She, she's there now, you know, and Chigusa's churning, continues to churn out wrestlers that are just, I mean, incredibly good, incredibly fast, and, and that, that's saying something. And they both take wrestlers from other promotions that come into their camps, and they make them so much better, too. Takumi Aroha's arguably the top five wrestler in the world, you know, and Mika Wata is just amazing wrestler as well. You know, they, they left other promotions and, and went to, to different camps and got just so much better. And, you know, the, if you look at the championship history of, uh, of, uh, the Gaia, it, it, it's like a who's who it's Chigusa. It's devil Masami, Asha Kong, Mayumi, uh, Mayumi Ozaki, Miko Satamora, you know, dynamite Kansai, Ayako Hamada. It's, it's the legends. It's the ones we talk about being the goats are all, we're all in that promotion together. And we're all there when Joshi wrestling was still for everybody. I don't think it's for everybody. There's wrestlers out there now trying to make it for everybody in, in opening it up, but it, it's not for everybody right now. It, it's for a certain look of people right now. And it's 
I mean, look in the crowds, boys. You see those dirty old men out there. There's a lot of those guys. You talk about going to show to show to show. Uh, there's a guy in a, in a wife beater tank top thingy that goes show to show to show. He's not a he's not a young man that's like going to to watch wrestling. He he's going to no offense to that, that guy. I've met him before. He's a very nice guy, but you know he he's <laughs> going to look at pretty girls. He's going to look at pretty girls wrestle. You know that's it's it's, it, it's not for women right now. It's for it's for men to to gawk at the ladies. It, it's not it's not a sporting event almost anymore. It's it's a I, I, some, some people look at it that way. Some people don't, I know it's not everybody across the board, but there's a pretty big, um, group of the people that watch Joshi wrestling that do it just because the girls are pretty. Oh, I mean, to, to your point, I also I want to counter it a little bit. Uh, I think, uh, uh, you look at your marvelous crowds, which excuse me, has a lot of women there. But uh, I assume it also has a good women contingent, as does TJPW, and those aren't promotions that I would say you know are not focused on looks. I used to have been maybe a little bit less on the looks, but uh, TJPW is a hundred percent looks based because uh, their whole thing is characters and presentation, and they have a, a very considerable amount of women fans. Actually, they had women more women fans for a while than Stardom did. Stardom's catching up now, as you see. Julia brings in a lot of the women. Utami's bringing in a lot of women. So, I mean, you say beauty is it entirely? It doesn't deter women. There's a lot of women that look at uh, Julia and Utami, and they're pretty and beautiful, but they're also really cool and independent. It's kind of what Hana's appeal was, right? Hana's appeal was that she was pretty and beautiful, but she was independent, right? She wasn't tied down to things, and as a result, she had a huge woman following, right? She had a huge female fan base because of it. I wouldn't say the looks. 100 percent deter things and i do think the the industry is sort of deterred a little bit away from that uh like i said stardom's trying to get a lot of women in and they they are but little women like mayu they like they like julia they like utami they like starlight kid nazumi and stuff like that so it's not it's not 100 percent, especially sherry i think sherry's getting a lot of women fans now too especially because you know she kissed utami and i think that got a lot of the the fucking women fans that like utami all in a flutter so i think I think uh, it's not it's not as doom and gloom as I think they're presenting it. But for Gaia, but look how but look how long it took look at how long it took for them to come out of the doom and gloom though. When they just prettied up wrestling, it was Joshi was almost dead. Yeah, it's it's. But I don't think it's all hand in hand. I think when you look at why the Joshi scene went the way it did, a lot of it was AJW falling. AJW was the company, right? It's kind of like if New Japan like went out of business, right? Or hell, even at that period of time, New Japan was on the del- was in the doldrums. Every other company was also in the doldrums. It's like the big company is down, so the trickle down effect, like people that go and watch the big company that introduced to other wrestlers to go watch the other companies, don't get that anymore because they're not coming to see AJW. So why would they go watch wrestling anymore? It's well, women, no, women got turned off on wrestling. Women absolutely got turned off with wrestling. I yeah, when Chigusa Nagayo retired <laughs> her first time. Yeah, when Chigusa when, when retired, that, that had a lot to do with it. But they still, I mean, as we're seeing, me and Jay, you're seeing in the classics, they're still there. There's not as many of them, but they're still chanting, cheering for certain wrestlers that they want to see succeed. It's, well, those are the hardcore. Those, guys are gonna, those are the ones are going to be there no matter what. There's, there's hardcore guys, there's hardcore girls. But just as a, as, as a bringing, like, just a whole, you know, pack of women just to, to go to these shows and filling up these shows. I, I don't think that the, until recently, the, the crop, you know, the, there was no strong young women. They were all pretty, you know, pretty girls. A lot of them weren't, you know, portrayed as how Julia is being portrayed or how Hana was portrayed. 
you know, that there was just a bunch of pretty girls and it turned off women, I think. And it's, you know, they were just seen as uh, beauty objects who, who did wrestling and they're going away from that now. Thank goodness somewhat. And, and having these strong girls and it's probably going to bring women back into the, the, the fold. But again, you had the strongest woman's wrestling wrestler ever as the top star and she brought women to the shows. She brought I, men to I the think shows. It, I'll, 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 I'll make, I'll make my I'll counterpoint. Agree. I'll make I'll my counter argument to this. I think there's something to that, but I think the bigger conversation is always when it comes to every wrestling promotion, and that's booking and making stars. And when you book and make stars, that's when you bring in all the that's when you bring in all the fans it's not just women and men uh separately it's 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 everybody if you can't make a star chigusa nagayo was a star and she happened to have she happened to click with a female audience just like how the jumping bomb angels clicked with a male audience as we saw in the classics of ajw in in uh llpw it was rumi kazuma she clicked with the male audience while Shinobu Kandori clicked with the female audience and they were both stars of their various promotions. If you can't make a star, you're not bringing anybody in male or female. <laughs> yeah. And that's the problem. Scene, with, that's the, the bigger problem with the Joshi scene over the past yeah, 25 that was, years. <laughs> that, that, that's the one that I think was the cause of the downturn. Cause you had AGW fold and then all of these other people came and made their own promotions. You know, Kyoko Inoue's Neo didn't get off to a roaring success. And a lot of that was her own fault. She started promotion, put herself at the top and didn't book anybody else. And then the company folded and came back. And then in the end was in so much debt that it couldn't, couldn't continue anymore. It's a lot of that. I think uh, to your point on Gaia, Eric, uh, I think one of the failings of Gaia was the fact that its dojo system was not churning anybody out. When you say Mako Ooh. and Io, those were the first rookie class. Can you name any of the other rookie classes? Well, no, you can't because there was only one other rookie class and none of them, none of them worked. None of them met, uh, sort of mattered. None of them made it anywhere. And if you look at how that promotion booked itself, it was a lot of the, the already established wrestlers at the top. Like Mako was the only one that got put up the top, but she was never treated like a big deal. She was never treated on equal footing. If you will look at how she was booked and look at the shows and how she's being presented next to Chikusa and Aja, she's definitely being portrayed as lesser than those two. And I think that had a lot to do with why the scene failed, right? I think the scene didn't just fail because it lost women's fans. It lost men fans. It lost a ton of fans. And a lot of it was, well, I've already seen Aja Kong a billion times. I don't want to really see Aja Kong versus Kyoko Inoue or Minami Toyota. I've already seen this a bajillion times. I don't need to see it anymore. That's what you, that was part of the, the bigger issue. In terms of the women fans, though, uh, Gaia didn't have a ton of women. I mean, it had, it had a good, sizable women following, but there were a lot of men there, too. I think you sort of discount some of the men even now go there for the sport of it, right? There's men that go watch New Japan, and they also go and watch Ice Ribbon. Right? There's men that go and watch yeah. uh, Sendai. Sendai's a big one. Sendai had, used to have the big crossover with that, where they would go and watch, like, Dragon Gate. Right? The, the men that would go watch Dragon Gate would go watch Dragon Gate, and then they would go watch Sendai because they were not too far from each other. I think it's it's not as simplistic as that, I think. I think it's a lot more of a gradient. And I think the women, sure, were popular and, and needed to be there, but in the 2000s, especially, uh, women had other sports they were into, and it wasn't wrestling. Uh, volleyball 
women's volleyball, something I've sort of gotten into a bit, you know, the Japanese women's volleyball scene, was booming in the 2000s, all because women were going to a lot of those games and were looking up to a lot of those players and wanting to play and do all that stuff. And they weren't catering to the women. Uh, if anything, the women's volleyball had an, teams... had an explosion as well. Yeah, that, that, that as well. But volleyball was huge yeah. in the 2000s. And a lot of it was to do with the women coming over and wanting to, to you know, play. Because it was in high school, you can go from high school and go straight into the to the majors, right? And and a lot of that was them reorganizing sort of how they did the structure and drafting people and selecting people. And that had a lot to do with that. And it's a different discussion altogether. But it's a lot of that had to do with that. And... So wrestling wasn't popular, but the women weren't going to watch wrestling anyways. They weren't. They didn't care about wrestling. They wanted to be volleyball. JD, JD, JP, uh, JD, JPQ. Did you think Japanese women's volleyball would be brought up in this podcast today? Yes, actually, because <laughs> the Aerie Bees are playing in two weeks. But that's besides point. Um, I'm tag... so, so it's the Springs. The springs yeah, so the Springs. Uh, I'd rather bring up rollerball next. Um, here, I can talk about rollerball too. Um, <laughs> I think. I think that all three of you are right in some regards. At a key point, sure. there's a yeah. lot of nuance to this, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pathways you can go down to and why the Joshi uh, scene failed for almost a decade, but a little bit more, depending on how you want to quote, quote, unquote, po- you know, how popular it was versus how unpopular it was. Uh, but I absolutely um, 100% agree with Eric. Like, you can't sit here and say as the industry began to shift, and I don't want to focus so much on Gaia, right, or AJPW, or excuse me, AJW, and and what wrestling was, but a lot like kind of this under the subtext of kind of what we're talking about this this transition into prettier wrestling, right? Prettier wrestlers wrestling. Um, put yourself in the in the in the mind of a female for a second. Right. And as the wrestlers get you're into wrestling, you're a fan of wrestling. But now you want to go see these women wrestlers, but you're not comfortable because every single show that you go to as these women become more prettier in the ring, the guys and the male and again, females, too. Right. Everybody become creepier outside the ring. Right. And there's an uncomfortability level to where you go, you know what? This just isn't my bag anymore. And I'm going to go focus on volleyball, for example. I don't think you can discount that, right? Because just for just as valid of a reason as you can't build stars versus just as valid of a reason that that you find other interests, there's just as valid of an argument to be made that as you begin to go down that prettier slope, men can become pretty creepy, right? (laughs) And I can tell you from when I first got into Joshi and I was fortunate enough to talk to a couple people overseas that were actively going to wrestling shows uh, and Joshi shows, and they would sit there and talk about the creeps in the crowd. In fact, one mm-hmm. of the first things they would talk about is, was it a show that had creeps or were the creeps less <laughs> at this show, right? And we they would discuss within the Discord or within Twitter, the Twitter sphere, you know, what promotions have the least amount of creeps. So it's a very real part not the whole thing but part of you know these these shows as the women become as the women wrestlers become more idolistic become more you know it um photo book driven more looks driven pushed off of sexuality and and everything you know there's an absolute subsection of people mostly men 
And I mean, that might be presumptuous on my side, but whatever. Come fight me. You know what I mean? Mostly men that are going to these shows for the wrong reasons. And if women aren't comfortable going to those shows because of these people, well, that's an absolute direct effect um, based off of how the women look in the ring. Now, I'm not saying that it's the, the wrestler's fault. And I'm not saying it's the promotion's mm-hmm. fault. And I'm not saying that it's the women wrestling fans' fault. But it's a reality. In, in Joshi today, as it was 10 years ago, as it was 20 years ago, that anytime you start veering towards that sex sells mentality, you're going to have people that are there for perverse reasons. And that's not that shouldn't be looked like I know nobody's doing this, but that that's just as part. That's just as much of a part as this is the other two reasons, in my opinion. Can I so again, you for you guys are all right. Yeah. No, I know you're not. I know you're not. I'm saying. It's it's a complicated issue. There's a lot of nuance mm-hmm. to it, but I agree with Eric. I agree with Kay, and I agree with JD. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I do. I do want to mention. Valid. I do want to mention that, that. I mean, this is absolutely valid. I don't dis- discount no, what anybody's saying. I don't think we're <laughs> anybody's saying that. There, there's a there is a conversation to be made. Like the, the industry was such in a black hole that they had to make money or you just wouldn't have wrestling at all today. And unfortunately, that was the direction that they had to go. Now, Ryan, the ad- it's the attitude era. You know? it, it, <laughs> no, it's, it's the idol. It's, it's, the, idol, it's think, the idol era. So when, no, but I, when, comparing when it to the, America, though, when WWE was so dead, they took they did the attitude era and they just, to save their company, essentially. Right, so... Uh, we kind of we're, well. We're they also had a this. couple, couple big stars break out, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of head into the, the wrap up phase here, but I want to say one more, <laughs> one more important, one more like important thing in terms of like the dynamic and why uh, one of the reasons why women left and men became such a primary focus. Uh, the economy, the economy downturn uh, affected women a lot more than men, right? Mm-hmm, Secretary yeah. jobs were a lot with what women had at the time. And secretary jobs weren't, you know, seen as necessary. So a lot of them were cut back. And so with women had less money to spend, they had went to less shows. Volleyball boom happened because a lot of the girls could come out of high school and play volleyball. So it was like a realistic dream. So most of them would invest their time into tickets. And the tickets were always cheaper, too. Uh, and so then pivoting to the idol look was very much a we need to continue to exist idols are really really popular right now right you have your yeah um morning musumes and stuff like that that were really kicking off in the late 90s especially in the early 2000s and akb 48 like, well that's the direction we have to go right if we don't go that direction we don't have companies and that's why you get companies that didn't go that direction that didn't last right then takahashi had a promotion did you guys know that she had promotion before she did the stardom you know <laughs> chick fight son i mean her booking wasn't exactly the best but it died because it was super duper old school. That was one of the reasons why it died. So nobody went and watched it. Man, you see something depressing. A, a ten person, a ten crowd corrigan is the most depressing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and I had one of those. But uh, <laughs> that's ten more people than they had at shows last year. I mean, hey, you're not wrong there. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting discussions we all had here. I, I kind of like everyone's yeah. different point of views, especially on this, and especially because uh, women's wrestling is a gradient. It's not. It's not all black and white. And I like how we all kind of came together and brought our different perspectives on yeah. the scene. Uh, so, in closing, I guess you guys will have any uh, anything to shout out your socials, your YouTube's, your podcasts. I'll what go first, considering mine's the shortest. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Big Paws on a Pup. Uh, other than that, 
I got nothing. All right, JD, I know you got stuff to plug. I mean, you hear my voice all the time. I'm everywhere. Redleaf Retrocast. There's a cool Patreon that's really fun. Learn about Joshi. Uh, learn about downturns of companies. <laughs> uh, coming oh out of the Dark Age, which is really fun. <laughs> At Bowling JD is where you can find me. Uh, join the Discord, the, the, everybody out there. It's a, it's a fun, uh, fun community that we have. Join the Discord. Hey, Eric, you still retired? Are you trying to chase Chagusa Nagayo's record of retirements? <laughs> I think she's at eight I, now, so you that's why. That's why, I pick, there. That's, that's why I picked Gaia, so I can keep coming in and out of retirement like JPQ did. And <laughs> <right>. um, <laughs> who knows? There might be a show here or there this year. It, it's it's going to be as, as I want to do them, I'll do them, and if I don't want to do it, I'm, I'm not going to do it. But uh, yeah, I'm always uh, always open to uh, somebody if I really want to talk to them. There might be a Joshi Pod out there again. But uh, follow me at the Joshi Pod. Uh, I my new. Uh, hobby is taking a certain uh stuffed logo from a an ice ribbon company uh with me as i travel and uh, i'm gonna take that little thing with me everywhere i go so uh yeah follow me at the joshi pod to look at stuffed mascots it, it won't help you I'm in fantasy bonnet. baseball i don't know how many it times i have to, to tell Eric's you that best friend i got replaced by a plushie <laughs> i replaced by Rabon, and you should be proud that you got replaced by such a, a majestic person I hear she's. I hear she's a fantastic artist. As yeah, yes. And we went to uh, we went and met Yoda the other day in San Francisco, which was pretty cool. It was two brilliant minds and me, so I was kind of felt a little left out. But you know how that goes. All right. Well, I'm glad. I'm, I appreciate you guys all coming on for my very special one year anniversary episode. Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you. Woo. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just have a uh, one quick announcement before I close things off here. Uh, the rest of the big egg for the rest of the month of june if you've noticed uh there hasn't been any jwp reviews at all for the month of uh may and there won't be any for june that's because i've been working on two very special projects to go along with Ooh. this episode here uh, i'm working on redoing two of the episodes that i wanted to redo the first one to come out would be the actress girls one and the one after that will be jd star something that uh i've been really working at really really hard to find as much information as i can and that may take a little while, but I'm trying to get both of them done by the end of the month, uh, and then we'll, I will resume the JWP review, so look out for those. Uh, but with that, uh, appreciate you guys have, coming on, and uh, that's it for this episode. See you guys next time.